right, how's it going tonight, everybody? We are Run The Real featuring Mike, Terry, Fox, and Dan. And this week, we're taking it back to 2001. Yeah, we're going back in time, even, yeah. Oh, what'd you pick, Dan? Man, I picked 2001 A Space Odyssey from good old Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. That guy. Maybe you've heard of him. Maybe you haven't. You probably have. <laughs> and this movie was released in 1968. I can't believe it. I know, right? Long time ago. But that's why it's in our classic sci-fi, because it came out so early, so long ago. Well, gee, I would say someone should give us, like, an overview, but I don't even know what you would say as an overview. Yeah, Dan, give us a synopsis of this. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um it's it's mankind's odyssey throughout the entire span of their existence yeah pretty much and there will be spoilers if you're worried about that by the way any listeners if you if you want to watch it and then come back do it because we're probably going to talk about the ending we're going to talk about a lot of stuff so oh yeah there's a ton to unpack in this movie we have to <laughs> yes Yes. I mean, if if you haven't seen it, you're doing yourself a disservice, so you probably should go watch it. Yes, just go watch it now. But, all right, I guess, what what'd you guys think of this one? I think I already definitely know. Eh, it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> On first viewing, it was just okay. Just okay. Just okay. But not really. Like, what have we got to say? Come on. <laughs> I mean, this this movie's stupendous. Like, this is my third favorite movie of all time. And it might be, like, there's elements in it that are better than one and two on my list. So it's, I mean, it's one of the best best movies I've ever seen. And I, I would argue, especially after watching this again, that this is probably the best shot movie I've ever seen. <laughs> or one of them. Yeah, I feel like this is one of the movies that like got me in more thinking more critically about movies, I guess. I don't know, or deeper, because it kind of just like opened my eyes. It kind of blew my mind a little bit. Because I know we, we reviewed this way back in the day when we were doing like the college show. But yeah, this movie was like, whoa, <laughs> what did I just watch? <laughs> yeah, and what what a spectacle. I love just the first, like, what is it, five minutes of this movie is what it feels like. It's just the orchestra and the pounding of drums to the title. I love that. I'm like, man, Stanley Kubrick's put on a spectacle, a show. Yeah, it's like the music you play when the crowd's coming in still for the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> man, it gives it like a, like a, what is it? Like a stage play feel, you know? It's got an overture, an intermission, all these like setup moments. Yeah, it's, it's like divided kind of, yeah, like, I mean, acts, like, more specifically, yeah, it's like the dawn of man, and then what? What was the next one called? It was like the moon. Well, it didn't have a, a title card, but... Oh, yeah. But it's like, yeah, more like modern space age future man, and then after that, yeah, then it's like beyond man. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. I mean, right from the get-go, you know you're in for an, an experience, with just that, like, opening and the title coming on. I mean, that's probably got to be one of the best, most iconic openings for any movie ever. It's like the classic, the famous song, the, what's about, what was it called, Dan? You were saying it earlier, the Zarathustra or something? The Spoke Zarathustra. Yeah. Like, instantly recognizable by anybody who's heard it. Like, everybody's heard the song. It's somehow, like, in our subconscious. It's so good. And probably, well, I, I wouldn't go as, maybe it's because of this movie. It definitely helped, I would say, but. I, I'd say it made it, like, put it in pop culture is not the right term for it, but may, spread it out more. I mean, there's a ton of movies that came out and aped it. When, uh, <laughs> what uh -huh. this did using it. Yeah. <laughs> I did not intend that as a pun, but there you go. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've ever heard the song not used in a context that's a reference to this movie what what blows my mind too is it's not just 
Thus spoke Zarathustra that works so well in this movie. Every single piece that they picked to be in this has a specific theme that it ties into and at the same time perfectly like captures the emotions that are going through um, the scene and the characters at that given time while still relating it back to what you've seen in the past where they've used it still. It's like, it's perfect. This is like the epitome of how to properly use music in a movie to enhance the viewing experience. And there's not that much either, really. It's only like, what, three tracks? Four, maybe? Well, there's three main ones, and there's a few others in there. There's that, there's Requiem, which is the extremely creepy, scary music, and then the Blue Danube, of course. Yeah, and he reuses that creepy yeah, music over and over again to really good effect. Yeah, it's, it's just like, watching it this time, I was like, you know, there's not as much music as I remember, but yeah, all the music he uses is so iconic that... It really stands out when he does. It's mirrored perfectly with the visuals and what's going on in the film. Yeah, I definitely agree. That creepy um, music he uses with the choir every time the monolith shows up is so well done. Like just the shots, the scenes, what's going on, um, people's reactions to it. This movie was, it gave me some kind of creepy vibes to it about space and its themes of like evolution. I was like, man, that's kind of scary when uh, you find this thing a little bit because each time something happens and I didn't remember that from the previous times I've watched this. This movie is kind of creepy. It is. There's a ton of real spooky things that occur in it. But yeah, using that track Requiem, it's that's got to be the scariest music I've ever heard. Like I I can't think of anything more frightening than listening to that music. And there for a bit like every time when they go to the moon and they're going to the monolith and that was playing, something would happen and it would scare the crap out of me. <laughs> like I think when we watched it the first time at um at college our, one of our roommates came in and scared the crap out of all of us during that scene. <laughs> and then, like, I watched it again at home. And then, like, something fell off the wall during that scene once. I was like, I had paranoia going into that again. Anything creepy happen? Not this time, no. But, yeah, like, it, it's perfect. Like, it, that music perfectly, like, illustrates the unknown and, like, alien and the fear of that and things along that nature it's just perfect with the monolith whenever it shows up because you, you instantly know that this is some otherworldly thing beyond comprehension definitely lets you know something's not right yeah it's, it's so creepy i love all the shots with the monolith too there's multiple shots where he points the camera directly up and there's like an eclipse happening above it or it's aligned with the planets or the solar system or something. And, ooh, such good, creepy shots, too. Or when it just appears with all the apes at the beginning. It is, they wake up and it's just sitting there and then it's like they're all freaking out with to that music and then they start, like, touching it and gathering around. It's just so creepy. They did such a good job with the construction of it. It looks so out of place there. Like, at first I was like, is that CGI? Did they, like, superimpose that? It doesn't even look, like, real at first to me. It's so just smooth and pristine and kind of maybe even, like, lit a little differently than the scene is. I, I think Roger Ebert said this about that scene in particular. It's like... It's got all the the those edges and things that could not have been made by anybody on Earth at that time. So that just makes it... It's like you instantly know that it doesn't belong there because of just stuff like that. And it's like you don't even have to think about it. It's like a subconscious thing. It's like you just know. They did good. All the visuals and sets and stuff in this movie and costumes amazing i love when they get on the spaceship 
and all the like old tech and the different lighting. And I had my visual moment where the camera's in the pod with, is it Dave and Frank? Oh yeah, Dave and Frank. And it's like, look out the window and you can see Hal just looking in there at him. Ooh, that shot is so good, so... The props are just killer in this movie. Every single one of them. I mean, Kubrick's always been like a prop master, but man, this one, out of all the ones I've seen, is like, this is like a feat of like miniature engineering. The miniatures are stupendous. Like the space station and the shuttle, those look so good there. You can't even tell that they're miniatures and it doesn't have the weird, like, not really artifacting, but that problem that Star Wars has now. There you can see like the little boxes um, on the TIE fighters and stuff sometimes. It doesn't even have that issue in this. It's so it's so well done. I saw that he pioneered a couple of different like film techniques like specifically for this movie. So it was definitely groundbreaking in a lot of regards. I mean, up until this, a lot of sci-fi was more along the lines of um, what we talked about last week, right? Um, the day the Earth stood still. Um, I mean, you get your Forbidden Planet and stuff in there, too. So this is like a game changer when it came out. And I'd argue that we wouldn't have another big game changer in like futuristic space design for miniatures and sets until Blade Runner. So it was the reigning king for a while, and there's still, like, tons of movies harken back to what they did in this one, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's definitely, it stood, listen, the, the fact that it still holds up so well, like we were saying, yeah, you can't really even tell that they are these little miniatures, like, yeah, the ships are coming into station, it just looks like it should, and it, it's great, yeah. Yep, it's an incredibly influential movie. Even like Interstellar gives it a bunch of nods, and that was a more recent one. So it's so good. I had to look up when this movie came out again because it looks so good. I was like, wait, what year did this come out? In 68. That's insane. I have the 4K disc of this, and oh man, it it looks so good <laughs> in 4K. Yeah, I have the Blu-ray of it. I was thinking the same thing this time. I was like, man, this movie looks so good. I hadn't. Uh, remembered it like I remembered it looked good, but I didn't remember liking it that much. So yeah, even like the lighting inside of like the ships and stuff, you know, like like the red lights on their faces and then and the yellows, like especially in the middle section when they're out in those little what would you call them the like repair pod things where they go out and try to fix the ship. Like the interiors of that look so cool with yeah the red coming on their faces and the reflection of the monitors is cool. I was digging that. I saw for this one that Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke did a ton of research on how to make everything look like as real or theoretically real as it possibly could for like real spacecraft and satellites. It shows, I think, yeah. It feels like it could be very real. There was something, my favorite part of the story this time was the middle section with Hal. I thought that was very forward thinking too. Um, and shot really well because we get a bunch of those stories now of like an AI going bonkers or something and doing something crazy but I was really interested and invested in it this time like when Hal died there at the end that was like kind of yeah it was hitting me hard I was like dang dude I didn't remember it being this bad but he did murder a man, so I guess, you know, he's not And he greatest. murdered, like, four men. <laughs> yeah, that's true, actually. <laughs> he, he did. I still feel bad, I guess. He doesn't understand. He's a robot. Maybe he understands. He probably understands. Oh, I think he understands. <laughs> I got the impression it was a lot of, yeah, ambiguity on that one. Yeah. Did he make a mistake? Was it all part of his thing to get rid of everybody? Because he knew what the mission was from the get-go is what they say, right? Like, mm -hmm. yeah. So, yeah, it's weird. Yeah, I don't know. What is, is it because he like made a mistake and that's what made him paranoid that he had to get rid of everybody or they're just going to kill him? I think just the idea that he could have possibly made a mistake. I don't think it's ever like clarified if he or the other computer is wrong. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we never figure out if he was wrong. He could have done it on purpose this to like try and kill him off. But I'm not sure why he would do that exactly. 
My my theory would be like he knows what they're heading to, maybe, and he wants to be the one who gets sucked into the portal and becomes the next like stage of whatever. But I don't know how he would predict that. He's a smart machine, so maybe he just foresaw what was coming. But that's that that'd be that was my theory for a long time is why he did it. I I like that theory. TV because I missed um, something the past few times I watched this that I picked up on this time. They do a really good job um, of filming it and framing the story and that how plot of they at least the first few times I thought how was sentient and had emotions because he was like I'm sad Dave but this time I caught how much he was gaslighting Dave as well so I think he was just trying to manipulate him and so I didn't know if he was sentient because he's like, sit down, Dave. Let's talk about this. <laughs> Don't do anything to jeopardize us, Dave, or something. So I would, I think he was trying to evolve. Yeah, I think I'm pretty sure he was sentient too because of his preservation of life um, thing, you know? That's what people who are sentient are concerned about staying alive. So that make makes him sentient to me. But I mean, it's a good question that it, it poses to you and it explores through the actions that Hal and Dave take in this sequence, which is nice. Like, I we don't know if he made the mistake or not. I kind of think he might have made a mistake because he's becoming sentient. This is my theory, right? Is like we've made AI, right? And this is the first one that's like really becoming sentient, right? Cuz he he has a line that the only um time that they've ever made mistakes is due to human error. So I think that since he's starting to feel and humans have emotions and feelings that maybe he's becoming more human with his sentience and that's what caused him to make a mistake um about the radar dish and then when they are like okay we're gonna have to cut him off because we can't have a malfunctioning machine he's like they're gonna kill me so i've gotta kill them before they kill me right so that that's kind of what what i think it was going on there yeah, that could be too. I like that as well. Yeah, I think it's who knows. Yeah, it's so ambiguous as to why. Yeah, what happened exactly with how? I feel like it's super ahead of its time. Thinking about like machine learning, you know, real big buzzwords in the tech industry now. Like, you know, they can only learn like us from whatever they ingest. So, like, we know the one on Earth is like getting theoretical scenarios thrown at it and is learning in like a lab environment and then how is on a spaceship and learning on the job i guess so they've got like different points of view even maybe that's what makes them sentient or drives him crazy i don't know it's madness the whole thing is madness <laughs> he's in a yeah he's got to think a lot bigger because he's out in space a lot more weird crazy stuff the idea that there's other life out there maybe that gives him the the spark that he needed to like move on to he's like, oh it's not just human beings Ooh, yeah i wonder if the other hal knew what the mission was mm, i don't know yeah that'd be interesting yeah to know yeah this whole middle part with the uh, hal is probably my favorite part too just very interesting a lot of that's like where the most i guess plot is of the movie i don't know i mean the rest is kind of just yeah the beginning with the monkeys um becoming they learn how to use weapons from the monolith or whatever. And then the second part's just like another monolith scene on the moon. And then we kind of get to the plot. And then the end is like a very trippy, weird thing. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a kind of a weird formula. But, I mean, it, it follows a thread, but there's not really like an, a story arc, I would say, besides the Hal one. It, it's kind of like, just like a... Mm. I don't know the, because for me the the overarching story in this is this is mankind evolving right, and it was kickstarted by this monolith. Whoever sent it, I'm assuming I'm assuming alien beings sent the monolith, right? And the monk, the apes found it, 
and they learned how to use tools, right? Use technology to facilitate their evolution and the give kill. them a hand. Get, yeah, give them a hand up. Give them uh, the ability to kill other beings, um, which is another thing going through this. If you consider Howl a, a being as well. So it, it, that connects really interestingly with the Howl stuff because you got the apes figuring out how to use technology and evolving because they encountered the monolith. And then you jump with that awesome cut, by the way, of the tool flying in the air to our tool in space. That's just like a perfect way the, to summarize all of that advancement, I think. It's, it's, it's awesome. I love it. Um, but we go to the moon and we're spacefaring civilization now, and we encounter the monolith again, so we're ready to evolve to the next stage. And that leads into the stuff with Hal, where Hal's supposed to be this technology, but we're kind of really, really dependent on technology now because Hal's got godlike power over the ship and the mission. But that's not how humanity's supposed to evolve. We're not supposed to rely on technology. We're supposed to be the masters of technology. So Dave has got to kill Hal to take the power back so he can evolve to the next stage in the Beyond the Infinite section. It's, it's so cool how it all ties together, I think. Even though, like you said, most of the plot is in this Hal section. But it relates back and like forward even throughout the rest of this movie with the themes and stuff he's covering. It's so it's so cool how it's woven together. Yeah, I yeah I, I like it. It jumps around a lot, but I don't mind. It. I think it's cool. It's just yeah, interesting how he kind of. It's kind of weird how that he jumps straight. I mean, I don't know what else he would show, but yeah, he kind of jumps like straight ahead. He doesn't really. He jumps. To like yeah, what is it? Is it two thousand one or is it slightly before the space age, whatever? And then like eighteen months later, that's the next jump, and it's like we never really see. That's a pretty big span of time, but I guess like what else would we show besides? It's not like we we're gonna find the monolith again between then, I guess. So maybe that's why they didn't do it. Mm -hmm. I'm okay with it. <laughs> it's this is a long movie still, two hours and forty five <laughs> minutes. I like that. We don't have like all the industry montage. It's just bone to space to moon to Jupiter. Like, yeah, we get the good stuff I want anyways. <gasps> so I'm only going to bring it up once, and then I'm not going to talk about it again. So, so more, right? He comes up with Moore's Law in like 65. So I think it's possible Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke like were aware of it when they were writing this. Which is the idea, you know, that the number of micro transistors on a circuit board doubles every two years. And it's like the law that says technology is going to grow by leaps and bounds. So, I mean, it's like apes to space. And then like 18 months later, we're at the next monolith event already. Like, I feel like this pacing really showcases like how exponentially fast like technology snowballs. I like that. That's a that's a good way to describe it, too. Definitely. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Moore's Law, this is like a good representation of that. I've got a question about the final evolution. What do you guys think happened? Because, you know, I, I've seen this movie quite a few times, and I, I honestly don't really know. I've looked up some stuff, but I can't figure it out. Did you guys? Yeah, I did go read what, like, Clark and Kubrick said it was, I guess, at the end. Yeah, I've read the book, so I... Kind of. It's been a long time ago, but they go into a little bit more about what happens at the end there, but I don't know. It's like, for me, I feel like they're just going through a, like it's showing him knowledge. It's kind of like what they did in the beginning with the, the apes. It's like they touched it and then suddenly the idea sprung, oh, I can use a tool. But this time it's so much more that it's like almost mind boggling. He doesn't even understand what he's seeing, I think, at first. And then he goes into that house hotel thing. I don't know what that room is, but that's kind of like him like processing it. Um, and like, it's got to take time to like, you know, kind of like how it took a, the, the night or whatever for the, the ape to figure out the tools. Like he's got to think about it and then he becomes the next level. So yeah, they, they, they like showed this old guy. Was that him? 
when he's older is that yep. what that's supposed to be oh okay i always thought it was some other dude <laughs> i was so confused Nah, that's him getting older and i love the way it showcases that from him just like looking from his point of view and then he sees the older version of him you know and then he he goes looking again and you find another older version of him that was such a cool way that to showcase that i thought Gotcha. So it like took him all that time to comprehend what he saw and then he was reborn as the next step of evolution, a space baby? I don't even know if I think he comprehended it. I kind of feel like he was just like so apathetic and depressed because his mind was blown. And then they just endowed him with the power is kind of what I felt like. Uh, you think they gave it to him? He didn't like evolve himself? Yeah, the whole thing is too much for humanity to even understand. I think that he was just like a pet to them, maybe. And then they were like, ah, space baby. <laughs> Let's see what happens. I'm with you, Terry. I think all the light show is him like, well, it's like we can't comprehend what he's seeing and going through or learning then because we're not ready to evolve or whatever yet, right? So he's just learning all that, and then he's got to take the time to process it. And then when he's ready, he becomes reborn at the end. And I mean, the monolith is there too, again, when he turns into the space babies, so. Like, yeah, it was just that, that whole, like, it's very interesting where, like, it, it takes him, because, yeah, we see this trippy imagery, and it looks all really cool. It's just, like, it's just, like, staring. I felt kind of like a... Uh, uh, Oh, Dave did where he's just like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> like, what am I looking at? He used to get shots of his face every once in a while, just screaming. But yeah, it, it looks really cool. And then, yeah, it cuts and he's like in just like a, a room and you're like, huh, <laughs> that part's really interesting. It's like, did they, did they set that up for him just to like chill? It's like, well, you made it. So this is, next part's going to take until the rest of your life. So <laughs> just, just get comfy. That's why I think it's like a zoo. Like they just like make a pen for him. They're like, oh, yeah, this is what humans like right this is their thing that's a cool way to look at it because i hadn't looked at it really before that somebody's putting these monoliths out there for them so there's some higher power out there in the universe which also adds to the horror aspect of this i think a little bit now that i'm considering it that room is like the one thing i'm not 100 percent sure on but it doesn't bother me in this movie but i've i've i wondered if it's like his mind palace or something like that, reference Dune there a little bit. <laughs> Maybe it's his mind and that's like representing, because he's been shown all this knowledge or whatever. It's in the process of evolving. So maybe that's just a representation of what's happening in his mind. He's like a prisoner in his mind until the monolith sets him free through evolution or kickstarting it in some way for him you know mm -hmm. that could be too yeah yeah there's so many ways you can take this it's it's cool because it is a crazy ending i think still i was definitely not expecting that the first time we watched this i know right it just blew my mind when it happened the first i mean it still does every time pretty much but that first time in particular yeah yeah, it, watching this movie the first time is a really cool experience, I think. so. Because I remember after I saw it, I just read so much about it. I like thought about it for weeks. I was like, dude, what happened in this movie? I do think it's frustrating. I was doing some reading. It sounds like, because like Arthur C. Clarke and Kubrick wrote this together, and Clarke wrote the book on the side. From, it sounds like he, Clarke, was really explicit in the book about what's going on. And then Kubrick was like, no, nah, no, nah, the movie's got to be super ambiguous. And I feel like it's almost like at odds with itself sometimes in that regard. Because like it is, like the whole theme, you know, is it's beyond our understanding. But then we have Clark in the book over here writing like, oh yeah, it's definitely aliens that put the obelisk there. I don't know. I, I, I feel like it makes a weird, like it makes it like weird to think about the movie because you're like... I think it happened like this, but then I can see that this other guy who helped write it was like, no, no, you're wrong. It was this. 
just two different interpretations. I don't see it as like it's just they're two different ideas about which way to go. Yeah, they can they're both correct, but just in their own way. Yeah, I don't know. It, it is weird that yeah, they, I think that's like what they kind of had like a yeah, they split there. They're like, eh, I don't know how to. Do we want to? I want to do it my way. Kubrick wants to do it his way. We'll just do it our own way. And yeah, I mean, I think I prefer Kubrick's version. Um, the book's all right. I liked it, but. And it, it does explain some stuff, but it doesn't go quite into a lot of detail. It's still kind of weird, but, um, yeah, it is definitely is, yeah, like aliens and look at this, aliens flying around and stuff like that. But, um, it, I mean, I'm not, I say that as if it's a bad thing. It's, it's a good book, but <laughs> the way I said that, I don't mean to sound like derogatory towards <laughs> it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It is weird, but I, I kind of see it as like, you know, I read a comic book and then, and then I watch the movie and the movie's totally different. That doesn't mean the movie's bad, you know, like it, they can they both have their own way to do it. Mm hmm. I, I kind of always took it that the monolith was alien in origin and that something was helping humanity along, you know, that's how I always took the movie anyways. Yeah, I guess what else would it be? A causal loop, man. A causal... You think humans put it there? Well, I guess I think it could have been a possibility. But see, now I don't know how I feel about it, knowing <laughs> knowing the alien thing from the book, you know? Like, maybe, maybe that Victorian house at the end was his mind palace, and he was evolving and learning, figuring out the mysteries of the cosmos, and then realizing that he had to place the monolith with the apes back at the dawn of man. Well, well here's this for you, Fox. What if we are aliens in the future after enough evolution? They, they, that would work both ways then. If I saw a flying baby in the sky, I would assume it was an alien, to be fair. So like, <laughs> I think it did kind of look weird. <laughs> Those big old eyes. Have you guys seen the quote-unquote sequel? I haven't. I, I should watch it, but I've never felt the need to, like, <laughs> to, to watch it. There's a sequel? What are you talking about? Yeah, it's it's 2010, the year we made Contact. It's not directed by Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, and there's like seven more books, too. Yeah, it keeps going. Maybe uh, seven might be, uh, I might be wrong, but there's like at least more than three more books after that. I might have to invest in this series, then, <laughs> of books. Yeah, I'm going to check out the sequel for sure. I think in the, the book, the the baby shows up and like, blows up a nuke or something they like fired a nuke at it and it stopped it or something like that so i did see that kubrick said that that the satellite that you see like right after the bone gets thrown is supposed to be like a nuclear like warhead satellite that there is supposed to be like this theme of humans just murdering each other all the time that's what I thought at first, but I think it is unclear in the movie because, yeah, I was like, is that a weapon? And then it, like, it cut to like the spaceship flying. It's like, oh, that's the ship he's taking to get to the next place. That's kind of what I thought this time watching, but it's kind of unclear, I think, yeah. It is unclear, but it, I knowing that from the production of it is kind of cool. And it makes sense, especially with that cut going from the bone to the... Nu orbiting nuclear strike platform thing Ugh, what a scary thought and then that ties in with um dave killing hal too later on so much killing going on yeah is this such a good thing that we're getting evolved what's at what cost i mean it's the same thing every time right we just make our new tools into weapons every time yeah maybe that baby maybe because even in this movie maybe the baby shows up uh, like back into like ancient times to place the monolith. Like we don't know what time period it is when it comes to Earth. That's kind of what I wondered. If like, yeah, it was like back in the day. I kind of like that canon. I think it could be. Yeah, I kind of like the idea though of like modern society having to deal with this weird space baby <laughs> and being like, "What is this?" <laughs> Sounds like a Rick and Morty or something. Yeah. <laughs> There's a space baby in the sky. It's just a baby. <laughs> I thought this time around when I was watching it, uh, you know, because he's seen all those like weird like colors and stuff. One of those did look like the space baby to me, but like really distorted and weird. And I was like, I wonder if like he is seeing like just beings of like a different flavor, uh, like, you know, like just not as we would comprehend as like living beings, but like things that are just so massive and like huge that they're like stretching out. And I thought this time, too, is like he was seeing like life. 
other aliens and stuff, but like just in a, they're just not, not anything a human would ever, would ever cross their mind to be like a living thing. Yeah. It's possible. It's giving them a taste of what's to come. Yep. Yep. You will be one of these soon. <laughs> Join us. Subscribe to our newsletter. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the, what, like, you know, like we're seeing things on like a different dimension. Like, here's the fourth dimension. Look at this. And you're like, oh, things are so much bigger now. I don't like that. Yeah. It could be. Like, I was wondering if, like, they're interdimensional beings, maybe. And that's why we can't comprehend them. They show, like, I don't know if it's supposed to be alien landscapes, but there's some sort of landscapes there that yeah, got yeah. the crazy colors and stuff. I think you're onto something with the interdimensional beings. I don't know. I think that they're, yeah, they're like fourth dimensional. They can see time or something. They're not tangible. They don't exist within our confines. And that would, that, that would explain why the time is so weird in that room that he goes to, too. Maybe he is learning how to, like, maybe unaware that he's doing it but like yeah being able to see through time at his like future self and look back at it and stuff like that to see every version of himself simultaneously yeah because like his his old version's looking for the young version sometimes too yeah they both acknowledge each other at some point i like that that's good and if they're interdimensional beings then maybe we just can't see them and they're just like floating around in outer space out there watching. This is like from beyond where there's just, you just gotta flick the switch and all of a sudden I'll see like squids floating around me. And like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you gotta break through the dimensional barrier. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna turn into some horrible blob monster. It's what it always is, right? I mean, a horrible blob monster. <laughs> <laughs> Things don't usually turn out well when you start to like address interdimensional beings, I feel like, usually. Yeah, it's because we're not ready. We got to be pre prepped for evolution, like with like in this movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I got to fly all the way to Jupiter if I want to get that good. Yeah, I do like that scene, though, when they get to Jupiter um, and the monolith is floating there. And it's like kind of like it's kind of like stalking that ship a little bit, I feel like, because it's not like just rotating around the planet. It's kind of like moving around up and down. Every time we see it, it's going in some totally different direction, and it's somewhere else. It's very ominous. And then that music is still playing, and it's like, oh, geez, this is something weird's about to happen. <laughs> it could just be the doorway to, like, the next step, right? Because that's when he starts going, seeing all the, seeing the light shows, what I call it. So it could be that. Yeah. It's like a a gateway. Like, it, I kind of always saw it as, like, it opens up and, like, stretches out, and that you go inside and... And all the planets and stuff were aligned, too, and it was in the middle that of them. That was awesome. <laughs> There's one like that in the beginning, too, with, like, the moon, if I remember right, and, like, the sun. Yeah. Oh, so cool. Maybe it only happens so often, and we had to be there at both times. Yeah, that could be. That would suck to get there, though, and then be like, oh, <laughs> I'm late. How? When is this going to happen again? You got four million years to <laughs> wait. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. Too bad you're not a fourth dimensional being. Yeah, we're going to have to get there the old-fashioned way, right? <laughs> going to have to... <laughs> little elbow grease to get there instead of just getting teleported away. That baby breaks the fourth wall, the fourth dimension, let's say, at the end. It just looks at you, the viewer, it's, and is it, it acknowledges your existence of you watching the film. <laughs> I and don't it's like, like that. It's like, are you ready to evolve? And I'm like, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Please, no. Not like this. <laughs> I don't want to be a space baby. <laughs> Well, who knows? Maybe you do want to, and you just don't, you can't comprehend it. Maybe it's really nice. Yeah, I guess I don't know. That's why we need a sequel to see how the space baby <laughs> how it goes on after this. That's like, there's so many implications you could like move off of from this ending being like, is he going to try and like talk with humanity? Is he just kind of going to be up there in the sky watching us forever? Is like he our new god now? <laughs> like, what is he? Maybe, yeah. I, I like, though. You're talking about a little earlier, Terry. This is a movie that I 100% agree with you on for once when it comes to the ambiguity. I like that I don't know in this because it plays so well into the themes and what they're going for. Like, 
we're not supposed to understand what happens at the end because we're not ready to evolve again, right? We're not supposed to get what's going on. Um, so it being ambiguous is a good thing. And it, it keeps in line with what they've been doing with the monolith. It's like we have an idea, a good idea, I think, of what's happening, but we don't know for sure. And I really like it because it has a good purpose for being ambiguous in this movie. And plus, like, all the underlying themes and stuff are so strong, it gives a nice baseline for them to, to like, stretch off of, to explore these ambiguous themes or, like, AI and what it means to be human with the Howl stuff, you know? And then, like with the apes learning to use tools and then immediately using them for violence and things like that, you know? It it just works so well. That is part of the fun, I think, of this movie. Just like the weird, crazy ending. Like, whoa, what is it? It it, it it's just the perfectly tightly knit like movie. It's everything's so good about it <laughs> when it comes to the themes and the music. I mean you could probably watch this without any dialogue, too, and still get all of this out of it, I would bet. There's not a lot of dialogue either, yeah. A lot of scenes are just like watching the actor like fly around in the spaceship. It's not really, there's not a lot of discussion. Which is cool that, that he was able to pull all of this off without dialogue, for the most part, you know? Just the visuals and the music is so, is so cool. I don't know if anybody since him has, like, done, you know, show, don't tell, no dialogue in such an effective way. Like, I know we've had some gimmicky, like, TV episodes and some shows, but for, like, a whole two-and-a-half-hour-long movie, like, that is not a lot of dialogue, and that is a lot of showing us, showing us the unexplainable at that. Hmm. Well, dudes, I feel like we could talk about this one forever, but we ready for some overall presentation wrapping it up i think i'm ready yeah i guess i wouldn't say anything that hasn't been said already so we got a scale we use to rate these movies that goes from burn it pass watch it or buy it we're all gonna give a little spiel and then throw out our ratings um who knows will this movie ascend to the next level of evolution or will it stay back in the dawn of the apes <laughs> somehow i doubt it but it might who knows um, but you know, this movie is very influential and it reminded me of a time I found this, I, you know, I was just digging around in my backyard as you do. I was just looking for stuff. Um, and I found this strange thing that looked like it had been placed there like purposefully. And so I was like digging it up and I was just, this is this weird little black box. And I started touching it and messing with it. And all of a sudden this static noise came out and it was a walkie talkie and it was like sending a signal to somebody and then. Somebody talked through the phone to me and said, this is very important for your next stage of evolution, <laughs> for the show, <laughs> for Run the Reel, for all of podcasting. Mike will go first. And then it cut off. So can I re refuse? I don't want to evolve. <laughs> <laughs> we're evolving, dang but it. We're sending Mike first. Evolving by force. <laughs> Give me a little nudge, like, come on, Mike, evolve. Yeah, if we were all staring out into the void of of Jupiter, all four of us, we'd look at each other, and we all three of us would push Mike into the monolith. <laughs> mm, yeah. Mike will go first. <laughs> Make me go into the interdimensional space. Yeah. Um, but I'll do it for this movie, you know, yeah. Um, so this movie claims to be a space odyssey and like, oh my God, it definitely is. It's incredibly influential to like every movie and specifically the science fiction genre. Um, like on top of that, it's perfectly filmed and shot. The special and practical effects look like this movie came out today. And the themes, I mean, we talked for like an hour just about what was going on in this movie. It's it's nuts. It's crazy. I don't even think I've got it all figured out. But as we were talking, the monolith kind of showed up on my desk here, guys. Um, huh? Bringing it back to 2001, <laughs> and this movie's evolved into my buy it category. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what am I going to say? You know, like I said at the beginning, like it's a Kubrick movie. Come on. 
like it's top tier it's top shelf it's gonna be no matter what it is this is i I mean i i don't want to sound cliche but this might be like the sci-fi movie of sci-fi movies when we did our day the earth stood still review I, i mentioned you know that movie really reminded me of the heart of the essence of sci-fi and this movie's right there with it you know it's about posing the questions about thinking about that deep sci-fi crazy quantum nonsense that we love so much and it captures it all so well underscored by kubrick's just ridiculous technical genius i mean the the props in this movie are crazy i've had the the privilege recently of watching a lot of old uh, godzilla movies so i've really come to appreciate miniature sets a lot more and i mean this is leaps and bounds and miles nothing tops a kubrick set it's madness it's easily a buy just buy it we talked so long about the the plot and the themes you don't need to hear more from me on that just go get it watch it enjoy it evolve yeah i mean in a lot of ways i feel like this movie did kind of like evolve my brain a little bit like you know back in uh, college when we first started our show like I wasn't really a big movie guy. Like, I didn't really watch a lot of movies. And then I feel like what? this is one of those one movies. <laughs> I know. When you guys invited me onto the movie review show, I was like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I try to watch them every once in a while. I watch, like, the Marvel movies. But then we started doing the show. And then I feel like this movie was one of those big moments that kind of, like, clicked with my brain being like, whoa, like, there's a lot that can be said about movies and about just stuff in general. And it's just crazy. Yeah. Like Googling it. Yeah. That's like the first time I've ever really like frantically Googled a movie and trying to figure out what was going on. It is really influential. It's great. Obviously I think it's a masterpiece for sure. Um, I don't have hardly any complaints with it. Maybe the classical section where we're floating around in space is takes a little too long, but honestly, like the shots are so good that I don't really care. Um, and yeah, I just love the ideas that this movie presents with like yeah, space and the like the beyond, what lies beyond humanity. All this stuff's really, really cool. So um, yeah, I'll, I'm gonna give it a buy. I'm hoping that my Blu-ray copy may evolve into a 4K at some point. I think I need to get the 4K of this. Man, definitely get that 4K. It is it is a good looking 4K movie. But yeah, this movie is a game changer. I mean. It was back in the day, and we're still feeling the effects of it 50-plus years later. Um, I can't think of another science fiction movie that could, can top it, honestly. Like, there's some that come close. Most recently, the newest Blade Runner movie. That comes close, but, you know, after watching this again, it's like, nah, not, nah, this one's the best for sure, and it's been the top tier for a reason. I mean... Every science fiction movie has taken something from 2001 A Space Odyssey. Uh, Like we said, the miniature works are stupendous. You can't even tell, really, that they're miniatures. It's so well done. Every shot is like a painting in this. The, The cinematography is probably the best I've ever seen in a, a film. It's so good. There's... Every shot has a ton of detail and there's something cool going on. Even like all the sets look stupendous. It's it's like everything in this is good. It doesn't even need to have real characters or like a, a traditional plot structure to get what it's trying to tell you across. It's so good. Like everything in this is top tier. Um, Kubrick is a genius, one of my favorite directors for sure. Um, yeah, kind of like Terry. Um, this movie like changed my viewpoint a little bit on what the medium could do. Like, I, I was a big film guy before seeing this, but this really like changed my perspective. I'd say on the um, viewing movies in general and what that medium could do. I love it. Um, definitely a buy it for me. <laughs> nice. There you have it. Who could have seen this coming? I, I was curious what what Fox would think since he hadn't seen it before. So I'm I'm glad you liked it as much as we did. <laughs> oh yeah. I don't know. I I always feel so. 
I guess I said cliche earlier, but man, I, everything Kubrick does, I just love. Jeez, like he's so good. I don't know. It, you know, maybe maybe it's a hot take. Like some people might say Kubrick's bad, but I feel like those same people would be like, well, yeah, Monet was a bad painter because all of his paintings were blurry. Yeah, Kubrick, he's good, but I feel like there's only like two movies of his that I like absolutely love, and the rest are they're good, you know, that I've seen. But like, I think it's Shining and this are like his pinnacles for me, and like the rest, I I'm not nearly as in love with the rest of his stuff, I guess. That I've seen, I haven't seen everything, of course. But what about Doctor Strange Love? Oh, that was good. Okay, I forgot <laughs> about that. <laughs> Three movies that are great, that I love. So for next week, we're uh, we're changing things up. We're going from classic sci-fi to shark movies. So um, we're gonna we're gonna take a bite out of that. And Mike's got our first pick. I gotta pick the Meg. You know, I I gotta pick this one. I've seen it once, and it was kind of fun. So I'll I'll watch it again. Now for some fun shark statham movies. I've got a grudge against this movie, boys. I, I was gonna go see it. I was so excited, like, from the trailers, because we'd just had, like, a new B&B theater with the 4D experience open up not too long ago by us, and the movie was coming out, and I was I was getting hyped. I was like, I was telling my wife, I was like, man, we're going to go see this at the 4D theater, and it's going to be awesome, because it's <laughs> going to be a dumb shark movie. I was so excited, and then the day came. And the B&B theater was not showing the Meg in the 4D theater. And I was so mad that I didn't even go see the movie. What the heck? (laughs) You gotta still go see it. They can't do that to you. I know. I was like, my whole plan, I got hyped up for nothing. I was like, who would make a 4D theater and not put the Meg in there? Like, that's such a missed opportunity. What a shame. Well, now's your chance to, we'll see if it would have been worth it or not, I guess. You'll find out. Ah, we'll see. I'll have my wife come throw water on me yeah. at random or something. <laughs> come shake your chair while every time something crazy is happening. <laughs> but in the meantime, if any of your listeners out there want to get in contact with us, you can hit us up on Facebook or Twitter at Run the Real, or you can email us at runtherealpodcast.gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts about 2001 A Space Odyssey. What are your theories about the ending? What do you think? Is it a masterpiece? If you don't like it, I'd love to hear why. I'd be curious. Seems like everybody I've ever talked to loves it, but I'd be, yeah. Let us know either way what you think about it. Yeah, hit us up. Request a category or tell us your, like, shark movie story or something. (laughs) We want to hear it on our, get us ready for our journey, but. Yeah, thanks for going on this odyssey with us tonight. We really appreciate it. This is Run The Real, signing off. Mm -hmm.